Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where we talk about culture, relationships, dating, even politics from a male and female perspective. Today, we are going to be talking about which relationship we should be prioritizing. So if there's a situation where there may be some conflict between uh, your romantic partner, but also some conflict between your parents or your friends, who should we be prioritizing in that situation? How do we make that decision and all the other implications or consequences that come with that? But before we get into that, just a bit of general chat. How are you doing, Eliza? Good. I feel like I'm just thinking right now, it feels like I haven't seen you in so long. Like, has it been weeks or has time just been going so slowly? I think it's been about three or four weeks. Wow. Because we recorded the the last one with Matt. Yeah, that was ago. ages ago. That was a while ago. Yeah, yeah, and then we took a week off. So Eliza was uh, dying, Ill, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I learned a good lesson because I had, I don't know what I had, but my throat was like the most painful I've ever had. My, the back of my throat was bleeding. It was crazy. I couldn't talk, couldn't swallow. And I was trying really hard to like push through and seeing a doctor on the central coast is like near impossible. So I just kept, was like, ah, oh, whatever. I'll just like, it'll get better tomorrow. And I just kept getting worse. And I was like 10 days in and still dying. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go on antibiotics because don't come at me, but like, I'm not the biggest fan of taking antibiotics. I feel like it wrecks your gut. And when I'm breastfeeding as well, it feels like I don't want to, I'm not big on medication. Anyway, finally I went to the doctor and he gave me antibiotics. I was like, oh, should I take it? And then I took it and like six hours later I was fine. <laughs> like literally. Wow. The next morning I woke up and I was completely fine after like two tablets. I couldn't believe it. Oh, there you go. Lesson learned. Just get on the antibiotics. I'm not fucking around again So you've next changed time. your entire uh, views about <laughs> modern medicine based on how well it worked? Is that is that I, what you're saying? I was just shocked. And my mom's really like anti everything like that. And she kept being like, don't take those antibiotics. And I was getting in my head. <laughs> this actually happened to me once when we were in New Zealand with my mom and I had, um, I was like a kid and I had an allergic reaction to like midges, those little like sand flies. And they bit everywhere all over my feet and my feet were like tripled in size. I couldn't walk. It was agony. And my mom wouldn't take me to the doctors she was like just just ride it out and oh my god they were in so much pain and eventually my dad was like fuck this we had all these hikes planned and everything I couldn't go on everyone but me went then I went to the doctors went on antibiotics and like literally within hours my feet were back to their normal size and healed and I was so mad like (laughs) I had to like endure the pain for this for like five days straight not walking when it was such a simple solution Wow. So uh, Eliza has, has realized that antibiotics do work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoopsie. Isn't it anyway. funny how the most hippie parents and the most traditional parents are kind of the same? They're like, yeah, just toughen yeah. up. You'll be right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. So That's true. So funny. What's your policy with uh, Remy? Are you going to put him on antibiotics if he needs it? I still don't really want to put – I'll get – he's vaxxed for everything and I'm very pro-vaccination, I'll say that. I think vaccinations are extremely important. Okay, so it's but... just antibiotics. <laughs> it's just antibiotics. You're pro-vax, take all the vaccines, <laughs> just not antibiotics. I don't know. Like do vaccines ruin your gut? Like I feel like it's proven <laughs> so that it's antibiotics just the gut. <laughs> But, like, when you think about it, it takes out, like, all your microbiome and all your serotonin comes from your gut health. So I think it's very important. 
I don't know. I actually am not that researched in it. I think this is obviously just a message I've had my whole upbringing. And so I think that antibiotics are the devil. But now um, I will I will definitely just take them first day next time. <laughs> anyway, Damn. how are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm really good. We started the Brisbane show, Comedy Untamed. So uh, if you Congrats. live in Brisbane, we now have comedy shows there. You go ahead to comedyuntamed.com every Thursday night. And just been focusing on my on my comedy and um, the shows and tour coming up relatively soon now. So uh, neilcolhacker.com slash tickets. Perth is nearly sold out already. That's the first show. And the oh, your solo selling, show? Yeah, this is my oh, solo okay. show. The others are selling really well. So, yeah, things have been good. Things have been really good. The weather in Sydney has been quite nice for winter. It's sunny right now. And it's pouring up here. Really? Yeah. Wow. How oh. about that? Weather. Wait, I have a question about your your show. Yeah. How far in advance, like do you set the date and start organising your show before you do your comedy routine or do you get your comedy routine literally down-packed, memorised and then start organising your shows? And- no, it's a bit about when you know when the show date is, then you kind of start to finalise right. the material. Yeah. Uh, but you don't start with nothing. Some comedians are different. It just depends. Yeah. But I, uh, I'm i always just trying to come up with new jokes. And so when I have a show date, well, the first date of a tour, I know, okay, I have to have, you know, at least 40 to 50 minutes worth of jokes by then. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, tough life being yeah. <laughs> writing jokes for a living and and touring. It's so hard. <laughs> Can we go, wait, going back to the doctor thing, Yeah, I've seen a few TikToks and I've seen, I've heard people saying this about uh, GPs in Australia, but they really are losing, losing uh, trust, aren't they? Because there's been a few sketches about how GPs will just, whatever you say, they'll just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you want some pills? Here, have some pills. Literally. Oh, you have anxiety? Here, take this medication. Yeah. Oh, yeah, here you go. Have some antibiotics. Yeah. Because they're just trying to, from what I, because I've got a few doctors in my family, when they work in a medical center, which a lot of them do now, there's uh, there's much more uh, incentive for them to uh, just turn over as many patients as possible because that's they just get a commission based on the patient load. Therefore, they try to speed through patients as quickly as possible. Yeah. Just yeah. so they make as much yeah. money as they can, which are... Uh, you know, it's so problematic, and because my mom was like, oh, "I've gone into this doctor, you know, I've I've spoken to them. They can book you in for four p.m. this afternoon." And I said, "Mom, I've already been there. First of all, please don't call and try and make appointments on my behalf. I'm 29. <laughs> but secondly, I've already been there, and when you go in for your four p.m. appointment, every single time I've waited two and a half hours, even with an appointment time. Like it's just crazy." The wait times. Um, but you know what What I experienced this last time I went to the doctor um, recently and it also happened to me a few years ago. Both times I was really sick, massive fevers, like coughing, sore throats, et cetera. And exact same scenario, different doctors, one in Sydney, one up here, that this has happened to me where I've been wearing, you know, a bra and a shirt, <laughs> as you do, and when they lift up your back to take the um, 
your heartbeat or whatever. I don't know what they were doing. Lift up my shirt, exposing my bra, the back of my bra. And both times my male doctors have mentioned whilst they're looking at my bra at my back, are you due for a pap smear? Should we book you in? And I just find that so weird and so icky and I don't want to draw conclusions, but I was just like, this never, I never get asked this with a female doctor, not once. It's just on my file when I've been due for a pap smear. But I just find it so weird. Like you're looking at my bra, I'm sick and coughing everywhere. And now you think to ask, and I'm here because of my cold or flu. And you're asking me, should you come back in for a pap smear soon? (laughs) So both times they they asked that question while your shirt was up. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I went home and I was like, you know, I told you this happened years ago. This literally exact same thing happened again in the exact same way with a different doctor, a different place. (laughs) So fucked. I don't know. It's probably nothing. I'm probably looking into it, but I just think that's a bit of like, it's weird timing. Like don't do it when someone's exposed to you. Do it when they're sitting down, but also... I don't know why doctors are in, like no other doctor I see is in the habit of asking me every single time I go in, when are you due for a pap smear? You only have to go once every five years. <laughs> Just, it's weird. Anyway, yeah. I don't want to draw conclusions. Damn. But. Um, well, I haven't been in that situation. I've never been asked uh, <laughs> when I'm due for a pap smear, but I will let you know if that, if that does happen. <laughs> Hopefully you don't ever have to get one. The, yeah, hopefully What's the not. equivalent for you? Are you urethra? Prostate check, probably. Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. I though. haven't had one of those. Um, you can do them yourself, though. You only have to get a – oh, yeah, you probably only have to get them if, if you find something sus, like you find it, right? A big lump. Like, yeah, I don't actually know that if men just should get um, prostate checks. I mean, under the age of 40, I don't know if they should just get them on the regular, but I do hear that you should get – once you're – um. Above 40, you should check for those things if you're a man. Yeah, there's a lot of things I probably should check for that I don't, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Australian medical industry, hey? (laughs) I'm a bit worried about it because more, obviously it's an aging population and people now have more medical needs than ever before. Yeah. Uh, So it's worrying yeah. To think about what could happen, which is what it could go broke, or they'll just have to reform it so that it, 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 they privatize it. Who knows? Yeah, it doesn't seem like whatever it's doing needs to be changed, but I don't know how. It just does. Well, they should talk about preventative things more because mm. a lot of people just don't know about certain very simple health changes that will mm. drastically prevent the likelihood that they'll need serious medical care Mm -hmm. Uh, there's certain situations where we can't avoid it and it's just pure chance and especially as we get older there'll almost certainly be medical issues we deal with but there's a few basic health uh, concepts that a lot of people aren't aware of or they don't necessarily partake in the required activities and that would drastically uh, decrease the incidence of people having serious medical ailments but it's now gotten to a point where it's uh almost politically incorrect to, to say, hey, look, you need a, this is how you prioritize your health and this is the diet yeah, you should be following, this is the exercise regime. It's funny you be because following. I always see the other side of that on TikTok, I guess, like because I'm on like progressive talk or something and I always see plus size fat women saying every single time I go to the doctor for something, 
all it becomes about is my weight and you need to lose weight. And it's when you frame it like that, I'm like, well, it makes sense. Like this is what's going to be most better long-term, blah, blah, blah. But then I also like when I watch these videos, I empathize so much because one was like, I went for like a splinter in my toe and he's, <laughs> the conclusion was I need to lose weight. <laughs> um, and how like their health concerns get massively overlooked and everything just gets, you know, minimized to, well, you're overweight. So sorry, you're depressed, but you're overweight. <laughs> sorry, you have a lump in your arm it's because you're fat. <laughs> so, well, splinter seems a bit ridiculous if, if they're <laughs> saying you need to lose weight for the splinter. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird, weird time that we're living in where I'm, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a health professional, yeah. but Everyone in my family who is a doctor, there, there are a few doctors in my family. They they yeah. definitely profess the importance of maintaining a, a healthy weight. It doesn't mean you have to be yeah. uh, a model or a, or a uh, fitness guru, but uh, there are a lot of downstream consequences of um, particularly obesity. I mean, if you're carrying a bit of extra body fat, I think that's, yeah. that's probably not the end of the world. But yeah, yeah. Uh, what a weird time. I wonder what's going to... And Lizzo now is in trouble because she fat oh, yeah. her dancers. So that that's quite ironic. So Yeah, it's sweet. Yeah, it is ironic because she's such an advocate as well. And she, I think in her, like one of her responses, she was saying like, I've talked about my experience being fat shamed so much. So I haven't actually, I don't look, don't know too much about it. I do rem- remember seeing her response was really like, she didn't acknowledge anything or admit to anything. She denied everything. Um, but it is a yeah, interesting situation. And yeah, it is a bit ironic. But it'd be interesting to see what happens from there. And then she got the same lawyer as like Jonah Hill and <laughs> that always represents interesting. The defamation lawyers in yeah. America. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, it's almost like there's so many jokes to write. I haven't even been able to write a joke. Because her whole brand is um, uh, fat acceptance and, and body positivity and then she's being accused of that very thing. I suppose yeah. in that situation there'd be a higher threshold for what is considered bullying and what is considered yeah. fat shaming. And that's why I, I'm, I wonder if it's actually, I think I mentioned this a few podcasts ago. We'll get to the, we'll get to the topic that we're talking about yeah. soon. But it's almost harder to live up to the standards that you set for yourself or that your tribe sets for you if you are in the progressive side of things as a celebrity because then one yeah. little misdemeanor and then it comes out that you're a bully, that you are uh, not living up to these standards that you profess yeah. to be in favour of. Whereas, I don't know, if you're, uh, if you're not even right-wing but if you're just not a progressive advocate, you can kind of just have your uh, flaws as a human being and your audience might not care that much. And people just expect it. Yeah, I actually anything. saw a really good um, example. This was, I thought was kind of sad. You'll hate this. I think it was Troy Sivan. I don't know if I'm saying that right. He's like a pop star kind of sing song. Oh, my God. I sounded so song. boom all the way I said <laughs> pop star sing. You know what I mean. Those, I'm sorry. Uh, one of those pop stars, right? <laughs> and um, he released a music video recently and he's getting and they he had dances in it and then he's getting totally ripped online everywhere to the point he had to make a statement apologizing because he didn't have any plus size people 
in his as, as dancers in his music video. So people were like, there's not one single fat person in this video. Like where's the inclusivity, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, I just didn't think of it. Like he was apologizing, but he was like, I literally just didn't think. And I was like, God, imagine having to like, you have to check this list off. Okay, I need an Asian person, an Indian person, a black person. I need a fat person, a skinny person, like someone with, like in a wheelchair. It's just, um, I'm always, of course, the biggest advocate for inclusivity, but to the point where it's like you're making checklists to please everyone. Where's the creative art? Like, let him just pick dancers he thinks he's a good dancers. <laughs> it's like, isn't it demeaning for those people to be like, you were picked because of this? Yeah, I that's. Uh, I think that says more about the people getting mad about something like that. If you're looking hundreds at hundreds of thousands at a of music people video were. and feeling, yeah. feeling like it's an assault on your autonomy or it's some kind of yeah. personal attack, I think that's actually a call for you to pursue some self-reflection and uh, look into why you're having a reaction like that. Yeah, and it's like a, a lot of people just have learned, especially um, younger people, I guess, as well in particular, but a lot of people just with the new, I guess, the way we are in this day and age is that it's trendy to call people out and discuss and put your opinions out, which is great. Like you and I do that literally as a on our podcast um but it's to the point where it's like you don't have to search for flaws in every single avenue or every single creative project or anything just everything in life that you look at you don't have to find the flaws and point them out there's going to be a million things that you and I say that aren't going to be 100% accurate or PC or whatever Um, and of course we encourage people to educate or inform us or challenge that whatever that's fine but when you're in the habit of like okay I'm not going to let any single thing slide it's just like is that how does that make you feel like do you have a really happy life if you're just finding the flaws in every single thing that you come across? I can't I imagine know. you do. Yeah. Yeah. I think as a uh, transition into our topic, I wonder if it's a lack of healthy social relationships that are forcing people to try and control the external world around them that they use as a proxy for their social relationships. We're social creatures and yeah. as we're more atomized, as talk about this on every on every podcast, but uh, we we probably react somewhat venomously towards things that we feel are a threat to our perceived uh, kin or uh, tribe, even if that tribe is not a physical tribe that we're surrounded by, but it's a sort of digital community that we've mm. that we're using as a as a proxy for our extended yeah. family or something like that. And I wonder if there's something to be said there. I'm reading a book at the moment called it's just called Weird. Uh, it's all about well, it stands for Western Educated Industrialized Rich and Democratic. Sounds and like such a Neil book. <laughs> Yeah, so know, something course. you'd love to read. Oh, uh, yeah, just as soon as it, it's all about how just it, basically Protestantism and individualism and, and just the the through line of just Western cultural ideals, how they've led to a very unique mix uh, mm. that we all exist in today and has also been the cause of much of the West's economic success. But mm. they, they draw correlations between... Um, 
the inc- the incidence of kinship and individualism and and also guilt versus shame. So uh, cultures and countries that are more shame based as opposed to guilt based have stronger kinship networks. So stronger extended families, higher incidences of cousin marriages, which I'm just, it's not a good thing, but mm. uh, that's just it's actually quite bizarre how normal that is across the world Mm. uh and also just uh so east asian cultures and other cultures that you wouldn't necessarily classify as weird tend to describe themselves based on their roles or as part of a community or a group or maybe their occupation whereas people in weird countries will describe themselves based on maybe their dreams or their ambitions or who they are as an individual and I find that really fascinating. I find that um, really interesting. And as there's actually more migration happening towards uh, weird countries from cultures and countries that maybe don't have that similar weird ethos, I wonder how those cultural differences will manifest in the decades Mm -hmm. to come and what the political implications of those will be. If anything, we might be seeing those now, but... Uh, I suppose that then brings us to what we're going to talk about, which is like which relationship should we be prioritizing or is there a a hierarchy of sorts of what relationship we need to prioritize? And I think this is very cultural, uh, but I suppose from a context of millennial, uh, democratic, small L liberal, what do you think the primary relationship is, first of all, in your life and, and what should it be for other people? I, I'm I'm going to take a guess and say probably your relationship with your baby right now. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. if you have any different thoughts or ideas, let me know. Yeah, I think it, it is interesting. I mean, Remy aside, uh, that's my baby. Um, I would say I would prioritize your romantic relationship, not as this isn't advice, this is just what I do. Um, And that to me is the most important relationship that I've prioritised in my life. Obviously since having a child I would would literally do anything to put Remy above anyone or anything. So he comes to us. I was talking about this with Adrian yesterday actually about how, remember that time we did a podcast, I I don't know if I was pregnant or like, or I just had Remy but we were talking about, ethics and I was like would you if you had to choose between Andrea or or your child and a and a bus full of children who would you choose kill the children (laughs) (laughs) and I was like I'd save the children and I was saying to Adrian like now that I've had a baby I'm like I would just I would do so much I would do literally anything no matter how unethical to save um, to save my baby, so it is funny how that changes when you've had one. But um, yeah, I I would say that in my demographic, that your primary romantic relationship is probably prioritized the most. But then again, in just a few years younger and early twenties, especially with boys or men, um, I find or teenage boys as well, I find that they often, not always, but often prioritize their friend group as their primary source of support or joy or yeah, like put first. And I see it all the time on Reddit. Anytime a 20 year old girl posts on Reddit or a 19 year old girl 
in the relationship subreddit it's, it's always like he just wants to go out with the boys he just wants to do this with the boys and this and that and I feel excluded and um, how do I get him to pick me or prioritize me which is really interesting how that kind of develops over the years and does change um, and then of course like you said there's cultural aspects where some people or many cultures prioritize family and um, uh, it's really interesting obviously I'm just Caucasian Australian and my family is extremely important to me but when I watch like 90 day fiancés and there's there's one he's called Sumit I think and he has um, an American wife and he constantly he won't give her a ring he won't propose he won't marry her he won't give her the the visa because his family won't approve um and it's so frustrating I'm like oh she has to, she lives in India with him and she has for years where she has to leave the country every 60 days because he won't marry her so she can't get the the visa and I'm like why can't he just tell his parents I'm marrying this woman like it's so frustrating that's my non-therapeutic brain <laughs> talking but it is really interesting and um people get so frustrated being like you I want you to prioritize this relationship that I do so then it comes down to well do you pick someone that is going to prioritize the same relationships you like is it going to be healthy or better if you're someone that prioritizes family above your romantic relationships should you be with someone that also does that or would that create even more distance between the two and more disagreement is that better or worse and also like it's not often a screening tool that people talk about in their relationships in the early days like we often say like are you looking for something long term are you monogamous do you want kids we cross those conversations but I very rarely hear people asking which relationship is prioritized the most for you in um in your, in your life. And I, I forgot to say as well, when we're talking about um, babies and children, I do feel like that me, I'm still only 11 months postpartum and I'm very much in a baby bubble. And I wouldn't say like, I'm going to put my kids before my relationship for the rest of my life or whatever. I do think that in a few years or in time that that pendulum will swing back and that I do think that it's actually more healthy to prioritize or not necessarily prioritize but at least have equal that relationship with your partner so especially when it comes to decision making and child rearing and child raising etc um so that's not necessarily my view like kids come first then partner that's just something that I think is just going to swing both ways um but yeah I I do find it um challenging it's one of those things that I have really strong views on that it's hard for me to in a therapeutic sense I actually would struggle to remain neutral when people are saying oh he or she prioritizes her friends massively before I do because um, it's hard for me to understand well I understand why especially the cultural aspects but it's hard for me to be like "Mm, I don't think you should like that's one thing I find that I would probably have a little bit of bias on. Um, and, and even the other day I saw this post um, on Reddit where a man um, said that he had a long-term partner or fiancé or something, been with this girl for years, and she had a gay male best friend. 
and they've been extremely close. The three of them hang out all the time. She always has this gay best friend constantly around. And then he went through a breakup, the gay best friend. So she invited him to live with them. And then she started basically never seeing her boyfriend. Her and the gay best friend went out for dinner. They go to the movies. They'd talk all the time. They'd be in the room with the door closed hanging out and then she he confronted her and she was like he is my soulmate like he's platonic but he, that's my soulmate like don't make me choose between the two of you imagine and your like, romantic partner calling someone else a i soulmate. know and i was like god Damn. if this couple came to me as a client i could not help but empathize with him like that's so brutal it's so rough and it's so um, it, it's so common on, on both aspects. I feel like for for boys and men, it's more common they have like the group of guys, and for women and girls, it's more common that they might have that that one best friend, whether it be a girl or gay best friend or male, or whatever. That they the priorities kind of get murky on who to prioritize, and mm. and also with women's the one last point I'll make as well is that with women and girls and their best female friends. As the female friends, I do find that there's often a belief system that it's like our opinion on your relationship should hold an extreme amount of weight. So if we're telling you, you need to be with the girls more, you need to step aside from this man or whatever, you should be doing that. Um, So and finding more, feeling like they have more validity to intervene on a relationship um i do find that's a bit more common (laughs) with women and girls i was gonna say yeah in my experience and i think in a lot of men's experience they can get frustrated at how much uh input of a partner's female friends will have on the issues in a relationship i think i mentioned this on other podcasts where you've resolved a conflict or you've talked about a fight but then your partner's opinion might change because she's gone and discussed that with her friends. And yeah. it just feels very disrespectful because you think, okay, are you actually coming up with these decisions yourself or are yeah. you just part of this hive mind? And um, yeah. I think that's a, that's a situation where I would lean towards prioritizing the romantic partner first. You should definitely get advice and input from your friends, but when it's, to the to the point where you will uh, overtly uh, just discard your partner's opinion or the opinion that you as a couple came to uh, to prioritize the opinions or decisions of your friends. I think that's I think that's actually disrespectful to the romantic partner and to the yeah. major yeah. romantic relationship in your life. Yeah, this is something that so. it diff- it differs from person to person, doesn't it? Because some people might even say, I put God first, my relationship with the yeah, church or uh, my relationship with a higher being, that's number <laughs> one. And they'll they'll even say, yeah, that comes before any other relationship. So if there's something that goes against my religious teachings that might actually be helpful to my partner, they'll still choose to pursue the path that is in alignment with their relationship with with God or or even relationship with a community or a nation. I think today uh, people maybe in our demographic, in our age bracket, would would generally put children first if they have that child. I I, I think across the world most people, if, if, 
if they're saying they're not putting their children first, eyebrows would be raised, but mm. there may be situations where that is the case. Uh, but then tell me what you think of this. I think a lot of people put their relationship with themselves high on that hierarchy of prioritization. So you know how now there's a culture of um, self-care where, oh, mm. look, I might want to hang out with my friends. Or I might want to do this extra work, but I got to prioritize myself in a way that's prioritizing the relationship you have with yourself yeah. before some of these other kinship networks. And from what I've read, I, I def- there's situations where I do that and I think it's important to do that when it's vital. But from, from, from what I've read, if we're talking about long-term mental stability and contentment and happiness, that comes from your social network. And sometimes there's a responsibility to put that social network above the self. So obviously if it's a family and you're tired or you, you feel like you could do with a few days off, but there's something important that needs to be done for the family, whether it's yeah. an event or if it's children, obviously you, you got to then prioritize them. But maybe even if it is a friendship group and a friend is going through a hard time and a, a time much more challenging than whatever you're enduring. I would say if you can, you should probably prioritize caring for that friend because in the long term, that's going to serve you better than just taking care of yourself. Again, yeah. very contextual, but uh, I, I do believe that's important sometimes to put our social relationships above our more individualistic concerns. It's a really good point, actually, because when you're talking about that, I think so much of Adrian and he's so introverted and he always prioritizes how he feels on the day. So if we plan something social, he's like, mm, I don't feel like it. I'm not going to go. <laughs> like, And he's just like, that's it. <laughs> he's fine with that. And But he does it like every time. And I was talking about this with him yesterday, actually. We were having – we had a um, – his mother-in-law come babysit for like the whole day. So it was like our first time spending six hours just without a baby. And um, I was, he was talking about um, what his speech that he wants to do for our wedding or his vows and he doesn't know anything, blah, 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 um, about them, but how we've helped each other grow and challenge each other. And I was saying if it weren't for me, not to say like to my own horn, <laughs> but if it weren't for me, he'd be so unhealthily recluse. Like I message, I tell him, okay, it's been a few months or it's been a couple months or a few weeks, whatever. You need to touch base with your friends and organize something. Like here's the weekend you're free. Here's the day we've got nothing on. You need to organize something so that he does it. Or I plan things. I message his friends, come up and see us. <laughs> um, here's a weekend and they message me. Um, and I just think, God, like if you were single, and not living with your friends anymore, who would you see? What would you do? Like, d- don't you think to prioritize that? It's so important for your mental health. And he, when he's out with his friends, he's super social, super funny, outgoing, and he has the best time. He's always glad he does it. It's just on the day he's like, oh, I just want to chill at home and watch Lord of the Rings or whatever, <laughs> watch the game that's on. So I, I think that's a really good point that we do tend to, not even just in that aspect, but prioritizing ourselves. Um, completely separate to that, but saying like, okay, you need to meet me where I'm at, which is great. It's important to have boundaries and and self-care, know your worth, blah, blah, blah. 
But when you're constantly expecting the person you're in a relationship with or your friends to mold themselves or adapt or change into a way that suits you better, it's still not really serving the overall purpose of fluidity and fairness and equality within those relationships. And I do think that that is a new trend where we've gone, we've swung too far from one way being too selfless, like I'll do anything and putting us and burning yourself out, helping out your relationship or your friends to now often going too far the other way where it's like, you're not doing exactly as I prefer. I have an issue with this. And then on the last point though, I will say like with friends and family, obviously there are some very toxic relationships, toxic families. And I don't think that those people should put those feelings aside. If you've experienced any kind of, you know, abuse or whatever, I don't think you should put those feelings aside for the sake of connection with your family. If you need to have that distance, I do think that that is a, if that's the decision you make that that's a safe and sound and fair decision um and you know you, you can choose your family as long as there is that a community around you that you can go to i think it's essential that there is at least a community it doesn't have to be your biological family or whatever mm. um but yeah that's a good point i also think one of the most prominent relationships that has been degraded in Western countries over the last couple of decades has been the relationship with the community, with the local community and with a sense of civic duty towards that community. So my parents, or most of my grandparents would tell me stories about how when they moved to Australia in the 60s, everyone on the street knew each other and they were always willing to help each other out and they knew they, they all acted as a large friend group essentially. And, and, and this is to say, look, I'm, I'm not uh, a paragon of virtue in this situation either. I don't know hardly any of my neighbors because there's, yes. first of all, there's such a high turnover rate in a, uh, a dystopian uh, apartment block in, in Sydney here. But I just haven't made the biggest effort to get to know my neighbors. So that's on me as well. I'm friendly with some of them. Um, there was one that used to live next to me that I was very close with and we'd had, uh, we'd I think we'd even had drinks once or twice and gave each other Christmas presents. Aww. But that was it. Well, actually, yeah. they were really helpful once they fed my cat when I wasn't here. <laughs> I don't think I ever did it. Well, they never asked me to do anything so I, and I would have done it. But <laughs> there's a few. But now I don't even know who the neighbours yeah. are. And a lot of them... Don't even speak English. So that doesn't help. So the relationship with the community has uh, degraded. There's a book I need to read called Bowling Alone, which apparently tracks that across the second half of the 20th century in America, which is would, would I'd assume be relatively similar to, to Sydney. I, I went in the Central Coast, that's more of a suburban, classic, Australian, yeah. middle-class uh, lifestyle there. So I'd imagine there'd be closer community ties this could be a very sydney specific issue particularly in this like built up sydney blade runner dystopia that i'm living in also age dependent um like i know like my parents live on the central coast and within like months 
they have massive communities. My mom knows literally every single person everywhere. She organizes all these social events. My dad organizes all the blues music events on the Central Coast. Like he has a band. He does all these things every weekend. They know so many people. They have such a community. Every time I cross someone on the beach, if I'm at like the beach where they live at, they're like, oh, are you Tanya's daughter? Oh, this like those tiny dogs. They just know. Whereas me, I remember when I moved up here, I was living in Crow's Nest in Sydney in an apartment and I'd, since I moved out of home, I moved out of home when I was 18 and I had only lived in apartments, never knowing my neighbors or anything like that. And I was so excited when we bought this house and I was like, oh, are our neighbors going to bring us muffins or something? Like what happens when you move into a house? Well, I'm so excited. And then I, when I moved in um, and my next door neighbor, she got pregnant and um, her kid's six months older than Remy. So when I was pregnant, I was like, oh, I'm so excited. Our kids are going to grow up like best friends. We've never spoken, not once. Really? <laughs> we wave sometimes or if my dog escapes or oh. her dog escapes, she'll let me know. Why don't you go and, I don't know, give them a bottle of wine or something and, and just. I, I feel like it's too late now. We're like two years in. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> it's so, I just was like thinking, okay, this, and when I, um, when we bought the house and I met the owners, they had um, – there's someone in the house behind us and he's like a really old man and they had a little pathway from the back gate down to the front of our house and they called it like um, so-and-so's path and that was his name. And she said, um, "It's oh, we, we're really close with him. Like we hope you keep that relationship and he crosses through our house to get to the front like road um otherwise it's really hard for him and I was like oh my god of course he can and he was so cute and he's so old never spoken to him (laughs) I've tried (laughs) and I was like we're not annoying people like I mean they wouldn't know if we were but we're not like annoying in the sense that we have parties making music or noise or anything like that aside from a crying baby but yeah it's it's sad and my mum was like you need to just go hang out at local cafes and I'm like that doesn't work (laughs) for me (laughs) like that doesn't (laughs) Some of the advice that uh, older generations give, it just just, just wouldn't work now. Yeah. yeah, it's great. If it weren't for my mother's group, if it weren't for having a baby, I would have no community up here. And it's crazy like now obviously that I've got a mother's group, but when I even when I just take Remy to play centres like indoor playgrounds, I'm always meeting parents, moms, talking to them. But we're never getting to the point of like, oh, God, my dog's no, barking, right. sorry. Ellie, shush. <laughs> Apologies. Oh, wow, that um, worked. <laughs> yeah, she's very well behaved. She's responsive in that sense. Um, but we're never getting to the point where I'm like, it almost feels like I feel like I'm a guy asking out a girl, like, can I have your number? Like, we should hang out again. <laughs> and it's funny though, because so many of the mums I meet are from Sydney. So I'm Do like, they I ever doubt they have. You? Are they like, ah, oh, you're really nice, but no. I can't, I don't, <laughs> no, like I can't do it. I'm too like, I'm like, oh, I know that I'm a really social person. So I find that I probably am making conversation and chit-chatting to them. And I'm like, well, maybe they don't, they don't want that. Like, <laughs> who knows? It's funny how it's like making friends as an adult is so different. Obviously I still have all my friends down in Sydney that I go and see and they come and see me, which is great. But I'd love to just be like, especially now I'm not working, be able to call people up. I've got, you know, Ali who also has a baby, but be able to call people up and be like, Hey, it's Tuesday. Let's hang out. <laughs> yeah. Everyone needs a village. 
takes yeah. a village to raise a child. So yeah, so I don't think it's easier on the Central Coast, but I, I think it's easier for older people. <laughs> um, is it, or is it that we just are t- too anxious? <laughs> we just maybe. don't trust each other because it doesn't yeah. sound that hard to just go and yeah. join the clubs and things. I, I'm very lucky in that I most of my community would be from work and. I have a really strong, yeah. close group of people that I work with that I also, I'm, I'm also friends with, which can actually be yeah. difficult in the work environment. But all things considered, it's still it's it's a better atmosphere and it incentivizes you to, in fact, work harder and, and yeah. there's a greater purpose than just, you know, maximizing the revenue. It's about generating goodwill and... Um, building a, an institution and and lifting your your friends and your compatriots up, which is far more meaningful. So a lot of adults now uh, would would classify their career group as a almost a kinship network. Yeah. I know some workplaces go way too far with that and create all these cringy work functions where they talk about how they're family and they all, we're not a business, we're a family, all that kind of crap. But at the same time, most of the people my age now, I'd say definitely spend most time with people they work with and are quite close with the people they work with. They can Mm. gossip with them. They can talk about the larger organization or what needs to be done. They go to events with them. They go to retreats with them. So that seems to be where a lot of people uh, generate their uh, 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 an important relationship for them, and in yeah. in some situations they prioritize that relationship over their romantic partner. Yeah, 100%. and it might be they might not have a choice, or they might, you know implicitly they may not they may be coerced to do that. But that's been a big that's also been a big change the um, encroachment of work into every mm-hmm. uh, area of our lives. And then technology has enabled that as well. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, I'm I'm very lucky. I'm in a good position where I just really enjoy the people I work with and we've been able to build something where we can all be friends and be friendly with each other and build something meaningful and also work together. But for a lot of people in, in corporate work, uh, there's a sort of false sense of community that comes with a lot of the team bonding exercises and things, but it's actually quite shallow and it doesn't provide the same source of meaning that a local community or even a religious network or an extended family would. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and also like another aspect as well, which I was talking to my friend about this the other day that she went into a new job at, she was a, um, she worked as like a therapeutic worker and then she was uh, took another job as a manager for a, th- a team of therapeutic workers, which was basically the same job I had. And um, but because she started a new organisation, I asked her the other day, I was like, do you have friends there? And she was like, it's so hard coming into a new job where I don't know anyone because I'm their boss. Like what are the boundaries and ethical aspects do you have to have around that? Because she was like, I really like them all. Um, but it's a very like straight edge job. It's not like you're, you know, in comedy or tradie or any of those things where you can have those 
types of relationships. She's like, I have to really maintain. She has to provide supervision as well, which is basically like therapy for her workers. So having that banter type friendship and relationship blurs that as well a little bit. Um, And as being, when you do supervision as well, part of that is you have to um, communicate issues you've seen or areas of development and provide at sometimes criticism. So to do that then to your friends, it's such a hard line to be. I know that I really struggle with that in my job because I worked my way out within the same organization. So I was once a fellow colleague and then all of a sudden I was their boss. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sorry. It was awkward. But yeah, that's, that's a whole other dynamic as well, which is, is hard, but it, it is interesting and um, definitely true that how much our coworker relationships are essential and I do recommend for people to find a workplace where you can find people that are similar in interest bond bond with them or similar in age etc um working from home obviously is another big thing that's come up where people no longer have that um social aspect and I saw this um this girl on TikTok talking about what her workplace does do you know you know the website Habo Hotel yeah like a chat room where you you make like a room and you go and chat to people blah 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 where basically there's a new app I can't remember the name of it I'm sorry but it's they've made an office layout it's not have a hotel by the way it's just that's just my reference point they've made an office layout as like an animated room and they've all got their own little offices and it's online on your computer and they've decorated their own offices and they've got their little um characters and so she says when I'm in my virtual office I close the door um, but I leave the door open and then if someone wants to chat to me their virtual character will walk from the main room or whatever out into their office and will type to them so you can call chat um message whatever and she's like instead of setting up zoom calls we just walk into each other's virtual offices say are you free or whatever and send a message and it's just like it was blowing my mind. I was like, is this going to be the new thing? I couldn't believe it. And it was really cute to look at. I was like, oh, this is aesthetically – it's like Sims. But like what the fuck? It's <laughs> so scary. Oh, crazy. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> virtual office gossip. Do they talk at the water cooler? Do they <laughs> – what do they do? I don't know. And it's like can everyone see like your – um. Your conversation is as you're having chit chat. Yeah. Or is it like once you're in their office, only you two can see it? I don't know. It's what's, fascinating. But... And what's HR going to do if everyone works from home? Yeah. They're going to figure out, are they going to look at your Google history and talk about <laughs> how that's harming employee culture? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the way workplaces are changing and then AI, that's going to change everything as well. The next 10 years, very interesting in the, in the I guess, the work from. Um, some, okay. What would you say to a situation where a a friend was in need and you had, you felt it was your duty to aid them in any way you, you can, but it was getting to a point where your romantic partner felt like it crossed a, a, a line where, you know, you're letting them stay with you, but they are potentially not in the best place. And they're in, they're they have a negative presence, or you know you've had to yeah. go back on some dates or some other plans that you had with your romantic partner. 
you think it's to help the friend, what 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 would you say to a situation like that? When I, I was in my early twenties, I did this all the time. What okay. were you going to say? I was just going to say, I think you got to prioritize the romantic partner in that yeah. situation, but it's contextual. Yeah, it's almost like it's. I, I at this point in my life, a thousand percent, I would prioritize this, especially knowing the partner I'm with, Adrian. He wouldn't just call out someone saying this is impacting our relationship unless it truly was. But when I was in my early twenties. I was um, always taking people under my wing, always offering them a place to stay, always trying to like save everyone and it was problematic. And I think I talked about this recently on a podcast but when we were talking about, you know, how um, it basically anyway, we were talking about um, a guy I used to be friends with. I worked with him. I was friends with him. He was a little bit younger than me. He had a lot of issues. He was abused at his home. I was 19 at the time or 20 and he was 19 or 18, I don't know. And um he started leaning on me for support. So I was always offering, and I had a boyfriend at the time, I was always offering him like meals, money, um, support, answering his phone calls, driving in places if he needed. And um, he then came, showed up one place, one time at my apartment in the middle of the night um, where my boyfriend was living with me and he had like a black eye. And then he was like, I have nowhere to stay. Of course he can stay here. And then it was after that he was sleeping in his car and I dropped down pillows and blankets and then my boyfriend was like, okay, this is like he, this guy's obsessed with you. And I was like, he's not obsessed with me. He doesn't have anyone. Anyway, my boyfriend was right. Cross Like a month later he was crossing all these boundaries and was trying to get in my pants. Um, and I was like so heartbroken <laughs> being like, I thought we were friends and taking advantage of it. And that happened – Way too many times to count. But even um, obviously I wasn't just saving or trying to like do that with men. It was literally any time someone told me I'm going through something, I could not say no. And it took a lot of practice and even actually my own supervision through my work. Um, and that's in my when I started working in this industry at like 20, um, I really learned a lot about doing by enabling this kind of stuff I'm doing them a disservice and I need to in order to help them I also need to prioritize myself and my own boundaries so I had one friend who I had at some points also let live with me <laughs> when he needed it and he would constantly yeah, you let everyone live with you <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many people I would say at least I've lived with at least like 30 people <laughs> over the space of 10 wow. years um, 30 yeah, yeah, cool. and probably more, maybe fifty-fifty in gender, or maybe a bit more skewed towards males. Um, <sighs> but yeah, it's a, and it's always an open house. Like I always said to Adrian, like if Remy ever has friends that like need to live somewhere or stay somewhere, they could just live with us. Like it would be a free for all home. And he's like, mm, okay, we'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had another friend. I'd opened my home to him many, many times, and and obviously. Um, he was going through something and he also had suicidal um, thoughts and ideations and I was always on crisis management, supporting him through that, talking him out of anything, intervening, blah, blah, blah. And then eventually after like a year of it happening I and I started to learn like, okay, this is, I'm not actually helping people here. I'm being, one, I'm being a bit of a pushover and two, I'm just like giving everyone everything. So I, every time he became borderline. This was another person that kind of became a little bit manipulative as well. 
and just expecting me to drop everything at any point. So when he started talking about self-harm or suicidal thoughts, I would call an ambulance and send it to him every single time. And I would send along with that, um, I'd let him know that I've done this. I'd send the the number for Lifeline and send an important message. But I was like, I can't come out three times a week to see you anymore. I just can't do it. Putting those boundaries in. And then it's something that I realized like every relationship going forward, I have to amend my approach to them. And just like even simple things, like I've always been an extremely physically affectionate person and in my 20s, I would meet people, like mainly girls, I'd hold their hands, always link arms with them, very cuddly, very much arms, hands always on. This is what I love about having a baby being clingy as well as like I get all my like affectionate needs met. Um, and then I really had to teach myself, even just friends that I would find like platonic, if I find something funny, I'm always like, or even acquaintances or colleagues, always grabbing their arms, saying that's hilarious or whatever, patting them on the back. How are you going? How's work? And then I thought, God, if I was like a 50-year-old man, this is like fucking creepy behavior. (laughs) It's just accepted because I was a girl in my early 20s, but I had to adapt going forward. Okay, I need to stop like smothering people with affection because it makes people, it could potentially make people uncomfortable. Um, So it's one of those things that I think, Some people are going to be like me and be naturally inclined to want to, if they see someone in need and they want to be like, okay, now you're not, you know, you're going through something. This is now my thing to fix. And that was my problem. And I do think it is an extremely harmful um, belief system to have about yourself and about others. Like I needed to really learn, like this person can survive or manage without me. And if they can't, they need to, the best thing I can do to help them is increase their own support network, whether that be through supporting them, finding psychiatric care, um, reaching out to their family or loved ones, um, doing that rather than just taking them under my wing and being like, I'll fix everything. So I do, I've definitely been on that side of those things. I'm definitely no longer on that side of things. Um, isn't that yeah. really tragic and terrifying? The amount of people and anecdotes that I've heard of people who might be suicidal and threatening suicide, and then it's been some kind of unconscious manipulation yeah. tactic yeah. to test whether that person really cares about them. Yeah, I've heard yeah. a lot of those stories, and it's, it's yeah. sad now because then if if someone were to say that to me now, my immediate thought would be, "All right, are you actually suicidal?" Yeah. Yeah, it is It is sad and it's so common. I remember years ago I spoke to my dad about this and he said the same thing happened to him with a girl and he just said to me, then let them. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's a bit I mean, fucked up. The only, like, <laughs> at this point it's like it's, it's a pretty tragic and hard thing to say. But Yeah, that's why if, if it happens and it's like an ongoing thing and it's not and it's an and you feel that it's becoming toxic or it's unhealthy or, the, or, or obviously any time – Someone, it's almost like similar to saying, um, you know, I've experienced sexual assault. Some people question that and you just shouldn't. You should just believe someone and take them at face value, but it also doesn't mean that it's your issue to resolve or something that you need to involve yourself in and you just put them in support. So anytime someone talks about suicide, even if it were my best closest friend who has never like taken advantage of my support or needed me, I would immediately if there was a threat to their life or they're saying there's a threat to their life immediately send an ambulance there because they're either going to one get the support that they need 
or two, if that were inauthentic and hypothetically manipulative or whatever, then they're getting called on their bluff. But yeah, I think they that the bill and they won't do yeah. it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think it's really uh, it's a huge thing to have um, to have or plan or enact um, suicidal thoughts. But that being said, there is a difference to to someone saying I'm going to harm myself now unless you come and see me to someone saying I experienced suicidal ideation because often people that have experienced or do experience suicidal ideation or thoughts um, of self-harm, they've had that for five, ten years. So when you react, when you hear that, you, you might not necessarily have to just immediately call an ambulance because they might just be opening up or expressing something about themselves or this is something that they've lived with their whole life or they've got depression etc and in that case it's up to you about okay am I going to engage in this conversation like do I have the capacity like the emotional and mental capacity to engage in a conversation like that or if I, if not can I inform them like I don't and I can't be this person to support you through this thank you for telling me I wish like um I can help you but I can't support you through this is there anyone else i you can call or i can contact for you um but yeah it is a tricky one and the, and the one thing i know like when i actually um worked or volunteered for lifeline for many years as a suicide um hotline counselor and you get obviously thousands of calls a day of people saying that they feel suicidal but that was never considered a risk until we would always ask do you have a plan and how long can you stay safe for? So sometimes they'd be like, most of the time they have the thoughts and they're not, they're, there's no plan in place. And when there's a plan in place, it becomes different. They might have a method in mind. So let's say it's pills. Like then do you have the pills? How many do you have? How long can you stay safe until you're going to reach that? Is it three days? Is it an hour? And what can we put in in the meantime. And that's like the model of the intervention basically. So uh, that's just my advice. Like obviously if someone's manipulating you, you can um, call them out, call their bluffs, send um, an ambulance them. But if people are just opening up about their own mental health struggles and saying, this is, you know, this is just something that I've lived with or, or I experience, it, it does seem a little bit <laughs> cruel to be like ambulance coming your way. <laughs> so I, I just yeah, want to sure. clarify the difference between those scenarios i don't did that make sense yeah did that, that feel that, clarified that, no, that, that makes definitely, yeah. that definitely makes sense um to conclude this one maybe uh well i think we didn't touch on family as much as we could have so that's mm. a big cultural difference i mean there's a jo- running joke between uh people who aren't white always talking about how white people don't care about their family <laughs> and yeah how oh you know, my mom said this i'm gonna cut her off and like you just there's it, it, not even a thought that comes to your she's mind dead. if you <laughs> she's dead to me yeah and almost every other yeah. culture that just you cannot yeah. the level of shame that you'd experience if you did something like that mm. uh maybe it's because the West has been so economically prosperous that it has enabled individualism to occur in a way that it just hasn't been able to occur in other countries because the economic conditions are far harsher. So you need to develop, you need to rely on a kinship network. But that does seem to be changing uh, in developing countries. So I wonder how family structures and cultures around which relationship to prioritize will will change over the coming years 
And yeah, it's um, it's really interesting because I always wonder about this as well. Like, there's so many different theories or possibilities. Like, is it that you're growing up being taught like your family needs to pri- be prioritized? Is it the cultural norm? Like, I, once you're working, you need to financially support or whatever, look after your family, or they live with you, so- um, which is a, a thing in many countries. Or is it even something more deeper than that? Like, for example, I was talking yesterday with my mother-in-law. She's a she's a daycare worker and she was talking about how she's been like researching and studying the impact of kids in long-term daycare and their relationship and attachment to their uh, primary caregivers or their parents if they're in daycare full-time, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. How does that impact you know, yeah. your long-term views on your family or your attachment, um, all these things that, and that's a very westernized thing. Oh, Daycare completely. is the norm. <laughs> every yeah. time I'm like, I'm still at home. I'm not even a year. Remy's not even a year old. And everyone's like, you're still at home. Like every single day, people are so shocked. I'm not working yet. It's so interesting. It's be very but, interesting how that yeah. generation uh, changes mentally and mm. psychologically due to being in daycare for a much longer period of their life. Because even when I was a kid, most of my friends' mothers were stay-at-home moms. Yeah. I don't think – I think it was still – and this was in the 90s. I think it was still relatively abnormal in my – at that age, maybe five, six, seven, eight, to have two working parents. I think when I got to high school, there were more working parents. But uh, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what the – the kinship and psychological ramifications are going to yeah. be. I really, uh, really wonder. But I was going to say something and I forgot. What was I going to say? I was talk- I was, we were talking about family and, hmm. All right, we'll come back to if I, if I remember. Come back to it. But I, was, I do feel like it's people that have to prioritize, not have to prioritize, but are just brought up prioritizing family. And I've someone that has dated, like I've talked about dating Greek boyfriends and I would always like be like, oh my God, why do we have to see your family every single weekend? Like, can't we just do something us ourselves or them having important input into our relationships, et cetera. It's something that I struggled with so, um, drastically with with but is so normal in so many cultures and it's expected almost like you need your parents approval you need their input you go mm. to them for advice that's something i would never do um, most people maybe occasionally. across the world and it seems to be getting to this point here because real estate is so expensive they're living in multi-generational households so i know yeah. in italy and japan they'll yeah. often take out multiple stories of the house and each successive generation usually it's a sort of patriarchal lineage that they'll then take the next floor of the house. Um, I know my grandparents grew up in a sort of familial household, uh, but just little cultural things that are really sometimes shocking to people who come from a different culture. So I know a lot of my friends, when they turn 18, their parents are like, all right, you got to either leave or you got to pay board. And that to to anyone who's ethnic, that's – Abhorrent. Just doesn't cross the parents' mind <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. If anything, they're like, "No, stay here till you can afford a house." Um, yeah. But I wonder because rents are now, and in major cities, rent is uh, far more expensive, and 
as is home ownership, I wonder if that culturally will change. Just just yeah. because there's no choice. You have to stay at home till you can afford to move out. So just little things like that. Um very interesting because that just does not happen in um ethnic families. Maybe by second, third generation they become more westernized, but there's a lot of there's there's a sense of duty that often can be quite debilitating for the children, but there is this okay, you have to reach a certain level of status in your career or through your academic studies because otherwise you're bringing shame to the family and mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to be the case that seems to be more the case that okay the way you act morally could bring shame to the family yeah. so if you're we don't care what you do but as long as you're a good person that's more important whereas mm-hmm. i think in asian, in asian families it's like all right you can be a bit of a bad person but be a doctor <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're the doctors that the were very asking least. you about the pap smear <laughs> yeah mm. that. and it's a protestant thing as well because i think from I think Catholic families are also a bit more kinship connected. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Which I actually find, I find that quite uh, beautiful when I dated a super Catholic boy. Um, how I really liked his family events were a lot of fun. Christmas was a big deal. But what I didn't like was if he went there at nine o'clock on, on a Sunday to go to church, all hell would <laughs> come. Hmm. I shouldn't say hell, but... Shit would go down. Um, yeah. But, yeah, there is a huge sense of um, sharing things with your loved ones, looking after each other. So there's a lot of beauty to it. But it's I would just really, yeah, a lot of pressure. And I would struggle so much in my romantic relationship being like I need to consider the input of my in-laws or my parents um, or if they don't like someone, then a lot of people are like, if my mom doesn't approve of you, that's it. <laughs> or my dad doesn't approve. If you don't get my dad's yes to marriage, then it's over. I asked Adrian, I was like, did you ask my dad if you could marry me? Like, and he was like, no, I just told him, hey, I'm proposing to Eliza. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether to where, how many fathers of – yeah. You know, the the boomer or Gen X generation would still want that. But Yeah, I was like, you shouldn't. I'm a, I'm a feminist. <laughs> it's interesting how much, I mean, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but how much just the Protestant Reformation changed the culture that even today mm. there's ramifications for that because mm. Protestantism was all about an individual relationship with God and so it sort of set the tone for liberalism and individualism and many of the... Uh, the richest countries today have Protestant roots, especially America. Yeah. So yeah. very, very interesting. But that would be another podcast. Um, yeah. Do you have any any concluding thoughts? Any uh, any final say? Any any final list of what you should be prioritizing? I would say that I feel like in this podcast, I was very much just talking from my own personal views and not in a therapeutic manner so nothing I say would should be taken as advice aside from the suicidal talk of course um but anything about like whether or not you should prioritize this relationship above the other those are just my personal thoughts and not advice so what works best for you is of course going to work best for you but make sure you're on the same page as your partner I think that's going to be the best all be all and consider it being a screening question in your early relationships as well 
finding if that's something that you agree on or have shared values on, on what gets prioritized or who gets prioritized. Love it. You? I think you summed it up perfectly. And that's great. I think uh, you should always prioritize work. (laughs) That should be number one. Work (laughs) and the nation. And the nation. The nation should be number one. Uh, And then then your uh, football team. And then children should be last. That's my absolute. That's my opinion. All right. Well said. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening and/or watching. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to us. YouTube channel is YouTube.com/slash at Sex Sales Podcast. We have TikTok and Instagram as well. And share the podcast with someone who you think it may resonate with. We will see you next week. Thanks, guys. See you next week.